Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Thursday to you. Fantastic show uh, planned for you today. Uh, I'm going to have a fire starter, but I'm going to wait to light the fire because we're going to roll out to uh, South Florida, Fort Lauderdale to be exact, and uh, we're going to be joined by uh, David Hyde of the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. He is the voice uh, when it comes to the Miami Dolphins and Miami sports. He's replaced Edwin Pope <laughs> as the voice of uh, South Florida sports. Uh, we're going to do that here shortly, but I also want to stay tuned. TJ Moe, Steve Kim are going to be here to help me talk about uh, Brian Flores. And of course, uh, Uncle Jimmy will be here at the end of the show. Uh, we'll do an approval rating on uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, and that's why we're bringing in David Hyde. Uh, <clears throat> David has covered the Dolphins and the Miami sports scene since 1990. David, did you think that you would live long enough and work long enough to be Edwin Pope's replacement? <laughs> I feel like the dinosaur going down in the tar pit, Jason. I'm just glad. I'm glad I got my keyboard operating still. <laughs> well, you look good, and I appreciate you uh, doing this for me. Uh, help me out here. May, I've read your column, but explain to me and the audience again why you think Stephen Ross, in the wake of these Brian Flores allegations, why Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, needs to be pushed out of the NFL. Yeah, you know, Jason, it isn't, if you live down here in South Florida, it's been 13 years of this. It's not like, I, I don't know who's right and who's wrong or who will be true, proved in a court of law, um, Brian Flores' allegations or Steve Ross is emphatically denying that he gave, he offered $100,000 uh, for Flores to lose games. Um, I, I don't know, you know, we'll see how this plays out, but it's been 13 years of this. I, I mean, from the time he stepped in the, through the door with the Dolphins and took over for Wayne Heisinger. Um, you've had internal conflict. Bill Parcells uh, quit. Hey, that happens when a new owner comes in sometimes. But then you had him secret fly, secretly flying across the country to interview Jim Harbaugh, um, not realizing that there are no secrets like that. Harbaugh's agent let everybody know and um, split, the, split the Dolphins' uh, franchise in two, really, of who, who, whose side you were on. Then you got Bullygate, which everybody probably still remembers, uh, brought in a whole nother investigation um, because he had the, he hired the wrong people to oversee the team, and that allowed uh, you know players to get out of control. Um, then we go to 2016. You had an assistant sniffing cocaine, and uh, that being put on social media by a, a Vegas uh, model. Um, then, then you move ahead to 2019 where they came up with this preposterous idea to tank and trade off players. And, but they do that. They don't have the coach on board with it. I, again, you're, you're, so my point is he doesn't know how to be an NFL owner. He's not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy, but this is just the latest in 13 years of issues. David, what do you say to someone like me who, who thinks this whole Brian Flores deal is about trying to push out Stephen Ross, perhaps push out the owner of the Denver Broncos, or I'm not push out, but make them sell to some minority group or person that 
the push, I hear Stephen A. Smith and everyone at ESPN, oh, Stephen Ross has got to go, and oh, the Broncos are up for sale. This is a great opportunity for minority ownership. That this all seems orchestrated, not because Stephen Ross is a particularly bad person or uh, the Denver John Elway and these guys are particularly bad people. People are just doing things and stirring enough chaos and turmoil so that the NFL is forced to bring in minority ownership. Am I crazy for thinking that? that, That's how, you know, whether that's the agenda Flores had, I, I would I wouldn't disagree with you that he he got fired by uh, Steve Ross, and he 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 would like to fire Steve Ross too. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> um, the larger Kenny bring in minority ownership and all that, um, you know, that makes sense from a standpoint that uh, you know what it's all. Other than uh, the Jacksonville owner, I think they're all white owners, aren't they? I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, yes. versed in every. So yeah, I, I, that, that makes sense, Jason. That's not a bad uh, way to connect all the dots. And so, do you have? Let's. What are your thoughts on Brian Flores and what happened to him in Miami? I don't, I'm not that sympathetic. They have a black general manager. I don't think he's a victim of some racist plot in Miami. He didn't seem like he could get along with the black general manager uh, and didn't seem, whatever, the ownership clearly wanted to lose games early and, and whether they offered him money or not, that's not uncommon for teams to go into rebuild mold and try to tell the coach, hey man, don't worry about your one loss record. We got a plan here. And, and, and then the thing that kind of really bothers me about this unwillingness to meet with this quarterback, whether it was Tom Brady or Deshaun Watson, I've heard speculation go in both directions. It, Steven Ross may have decided like, hey, I got the wrong guy. This guy's Mr. Goody Two Shoes, and I, I don't have the right guy for. Uh, he's not willing to do whatever it takes to win here in Miami, and he can't get along with my general manager. I, I just don't have. I don't have a great deal of sympathy as it relates to Brian Flores that he's been treated unfairly by the Dolphins. Do you? Um, well, let's start here. Steve Ross runs probably the most progressive as far as hiring um, franchise in sports history. I mean, at one point there was the general manager, the coach, the assistant general manager, director of pro personnel, and the defensive coordinator were all black. I mean, that's five of your top, you know, we can sit here and debate six, seven positions in the franchise were were, uh, black hires. And so, um, you you know, locally in South Florida, the whole, the larger picture of, you know, uh, what the lawsuit is about, discrimination in NFL hirings, you know, that's over there. For us locally, the issue is Steve Ross, once again, hiring the wrong people, people he's not on the same page with, not understanding how to be an owner. Um, And so look, Brian Flores was a tough guy, rough edges. Um, four practices into his uh, first year of 
of uh, training camp. He fires his offensive line coach. He doesn't get along with Minka Fitzpatrick at the start, and who trades him to Pittsburgh for you know a worthless deal for the Dolphins, especially your rebuilding. You don't trade all pro safety. Um, so he's a tough guy to get along with. And, and that part, you know, it's not like uh, one guy's great and the other guy's awful in this. Um, but the question becomes, for, for if you're Steve Ross, is why didn't you have this guy on board with the tanking concept at the start? When you're going through the interview process, hey, we're going to play a lot of young guys. We might lose every game. Are you okay with that? You know? All right, Dave, <clears throat> I'm going to let you out of here on this note. Do you see any way that Stephen Ross survives this? Will he be the owner of the Dolphins a year from now? Yeah, he can survive. I mean, look, everybody's lawyering up. And um, if if Brian Flores' witness is his best buddy, um, you know, that's what it comes down to, this corroborating evidence. What what is that? And, and, And you can't really know where this is going to go until you see that. Um, um, that said, does, does Steve Ross want to be an NFL owner anymore? He, he hasn't won a playoff game. They've been, he's, he's, it's been an embarrassment after embarrassment for him and, and really a community jewel like the Dolphins franchise. And he, his hand-picked success, successor, uh, Bruce Beal, has been approved by the league. Why don't we just hand off to him? And, and and go into the the soft night while you can before the next embarrassment comes for the franchise. David, thank you for the time. Uh, it looks like you got about another 50 years of work down there in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> no, you still look, no. you know, young and spry. Well, yeah, lo- looks are deceiving on Skype, Jason. Good talking <laughs> to you. All right. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Dave Hyde awesome columnist down there in Fort Lauderdale in Southern Florida. Uh, Wanted to get his perspective on Stephen Ross before I offered up a second take on uh, Brian Flores. And so uh, I'm gonna tell you about my friends at CB Distillery and then we'll come in and I'll start a fire on Brian Flores and engage with Steve Kim and and TJ Moore about that. But uh, CB Distillery, does CBD work? Over 90% of doctors said their patients have used CBD to treat a health condition. That speaks volumes about how safe and effective CBD can be. And your new headquarters for CBD products is cbdistillery.com. With over 2 million customers, they are the source that I trust. Some benefits of using CBD are or it helps the body recover after physical activity, it improves the quality of your sleep, and it can also provide you with a little peace and calm during your busy day. If you haven't discovered the power of CBD and you're missing out, go to cbdistillery.com. You can order online with no prescription required and enter fearless for 20% off. Again, enter fearless for 20% off at at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. That's cbdistillery.com. All right, welcome back. All right, let's get this fire started. Uh, We just let David Hyde 
warm things up with a little discussion about Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. But let's go back to the main topic, the main course, Brian Flores and his lawsuit against the NFL. Uh, black NFL players have made it quite clear they want to inspire change on behalf of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Jacob Blake, Rayshard Brooks, and other high-profile victims of alleged white criminal misconduct. Black football players enthusiastically appointed themselves experts on criminal justice reform, systemic racism, housing discrimination, and pay inequality. During televised commercial breaks, current NFL players preach about where they're from and how people who look like them are over-policed, over-incarcerated, and will earn $10,000 less than their white counterparts. You've seen the commercials. That's why I expect the next batch of Inspire Change commercials to feature former Dolphins coach, Brian Flores. Surely the courageous freedom fighters speaking on behalf of George Floyd will lift their voices in support of Brian Harriet Tubman Flores. As qualified as football players are to speak on local policing issues, it pales into comparison to what they know about football, coaching football. As the New York Times, ESPN, and Flores' white attorneys have repeatedly pointed out, 70% of NFL players are black. These black players are eyewitnesses to the racism endured by Flores and countless black assistant coaches. If they're willing to take a knee for George Floyd, I'm sure black Dolphins players would be more than happy to support Brian Flores' lawsuit. And this is my problem with the Brian Flores controversy and the repeated allegations that NFL owners refuse to hire black head coaches. NFL owners will do pretty much anything the players demand they do. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones took a knee during the national anthem because the players demanded he do so. Jones's billionaire peers across the league did the same thing. The players control the league. The players forced the owners to hand over nearly $100 million to finance the Players Coalition, a vanity project for current and former players to build social media brands as social justice warriors. If NFL players wanted more black head coaches, more black offensive coordinators, they would demand it and it would happen overnight. Players create the hype and buzz around assistant coaches. When a talented and charismatic assistant coach reveals himself on a staff, it's the players who start gossiping about his impact, his ability to connect, and his relentless work ethic. Brian Flores doesn't need a lawsuit to get a head coaching job. He needs the support of black NFL players. The same is true for Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. But black people, we've been taught to prefer the charity of white people over the support of our own. This preference for charity played a role in Flores getting fired. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross figured out Flores isn't ruthless enough to win at the highest level. If you believe Flores' narrative, Ross tried to forge an alliance between Flores and an established NFL quarterback. 
Multiple outlets have reported the established quarterback was Tom Brady. Ross is a Michigan grad and one of the school's top boosters. Ross has known Brady for years. Flores refused the meeting because it would violate the NFL's tampering policy. Flores' refusal violated common sense. Flores reportedly did not like Miami quarterback Tua Tungviola. Ross was offering Flores a solution, a path to a proven franchise quarterback, the GOAT. Ross was trying to put his head coach in position to win immediately. That wasn't racism. Ross was bending the rules to favor his black head coach, proving again that no good deed goes unpunished. That's the lesson that Stephen Ross is going to learn here and is in the process of learning. This guy has bent over backwards with all these inspired inspired change initiatives. He's the most progressive, as you just heard David Hyde talk about, the most progressive NFL owner probably there is. And he's the guy that got sold out by Brian Flores and is basically being called racist for his handling of Brian Flores, all because allegedly, according to the snitch here, Harriet Tubman Flores, uh, he offered him some money. Uh, Look, man, take these L's. Don't worry about them. I'm going to give you some cash. Oh, and by the way, hey, meet with Tom Brady. I'm going to try to get you a quarterback so you can win right away the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just won with Tom Brady. Brian Flores wasn't on board with any of that. I don't blame Stephen Ross for saying this guy ain't got a pair big enough between his legs to win at the highest level. This is Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. I'm not down with it. People can't get along with him. He's angry all the time. Black general manager. I got the blackest staff in the history of the NFL. He can't get along with these guys. I keep telling, Brian Flores has identity issues. Brian Flores is beating himself up because he married Becky Shabazz instead of Betty Shabazz. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not racist. I certainly don't have a problem with a black man dating a white woman. Check my receipts. But I damn sure ain't gonna be running around with a guilty conscience trying to prove I'm Malcolm X because I'm not comfortable with who I decided to marry. And this little Mr. Goody Two's, oh no, I'm not gonna beat with Tom Brady. Oh, he offered me $100,000 to take these L's. I'm too, I have too much integrity for all that. You're not an NFL head coach. I don't know any NFL head coaches that if the owner is like, man, I'm friends with Tom Brady, he's gonna come meet us over here on this yacht. I'm trying to make this happen for you and me and the Miami Dolphins. I don't know no coaches. Oh God, no, not me. I'm too proper for that. That ain't my head football coach. That's somebody whose pair ain't big enough for the job. All right, I ranted about this all yesterday. Today I made a commitment to uh, bring in other voices. We started with uh, David Hyde. Now let's bring in the uh, Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim. Uh, Cosell. Uh, I, I love the swag. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> love that. Love, love that. You know, you're the, lo- that, that's awesome. Uh, let's start here. Uh, sh- d- should Stephen Ross be removed as the owner of the Dolphins? No. 
and I read David Hyde's column, but my view is him just being an inept owner should not qualify him for the chopping block. I mean, from what we know, this is not Mardshot. This is not Donald Sterling. This isn't even George Steinbrenner when he was suspended for a full year in the early 90s. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, any owner that tries to get a young coach, Tom Brady, why is that being looked as a pejorative? Uh, I will say this, though. The one aspect of this whole Flores thing that I find the most fascinating is the whole issue of tanking. Look, teams have tanked for years, and it's always like, hey, we're going to try to win, right? You know, with the wink of the eye. Uh, if it can actually be proven that there was a financial incentive, and again, the burden of proof is on Brian Flores and his representatives to actually prove this, then to me, yes, he should be legislated and forced out of the league. But it, it kind of reminds me of this tanking thing of one of the all-time great quotes from the playmaker, Michael Irvin. Uh, Jay, you remember the infamous White House of the Dallas Cowboys, which was a house of, of repute right across the street from the Cowboys practice facility? Now, for our younger audience and those who are not in the know, the White House was a place where all the Cowboy players said, you know what, instead of getting motel, hotel, holiday in, let's all chip in together and bring our friends to our pad, our um, bachelor pad. And I know people that actually brought girls over, believe it or not. I know a lot of the inside stories. And when they were finally caught, Michael Irvin said something that should be hung up in a museum. He said, man, you know, I look back at the White House and we tried to do the wrong thing the right way. And when it comes to tanking, it may be the wrong thing, but you still have to do it the right way. So, again, if that aspect of if any of those allegations, that particular one is true, then, yes, get Sandman Sims, get him out of here, give him the hook. All right. So to me, based off the way ESPN is talking about this and other people in the media, it's clear as day the goal is we got to get minority ownership, either in Denver or in Miami. And, and I want to know if, if this is what cracks me up. This is what the elites consider uh, black progress. The, these type that somehow if black people pulled their money and bought the Miami Dolphins, that's going to push mm. black people and the black community ahead. This is some great endeavor that the elites are, are trying to put together. Man, if the Miami Dolphins are owned by black people. Watch out, America. It's over. White supremacy is dead. Jason, um, these, these franchises now run for over $2 million. So basically, if you put together a consortium. $2 billion. Uh, $2 billion, not million, but billions and beyond, especially with that new stadium that Stephen Ross has put a lot of money into renovating. A hard rock. Here's the issue. If you have a group of black businessmen in the elite who put together enough money, you're basically talking about the same group of elite people that live in the gated communities that look down upon the peasants. That's the reality. And this whole conversation this morning as I was preparing for the show, it actually reminded me, Jason, the one time I was able to meet Jim Brown, the great Jim Brown. This is all the way back in the fall of 2001, believe it or not. I was actually able to go up to his house as a group that included Bernard Hopkins. Hopkins was being honored as the fighter of the year from the World Boxing Hall of Fame out here in Los Angeles when that was still a thing. I was actually very close to Bernard in his camp. 
Uh, the day after the ceremonies, they said, Steve, if your Sunday is free, we'd like you to come up here. We're going to meet Jim Brown. So you get into this place, and Jim Brown at that age is still one of the most intimidating uh, individuals I've ever met. There's a certain presence about him. Very polite individual, though. He comes around to every person, <laughs> shakes their hands, asks their name. And Jason, I'll never forget this exchange we had, uh, me and Jim, or Mr. Brown. He said, hello, sir, what's your name? And I said, oh, uh, I'm Steve Kim. And he goes, Kim, and he's with his friend. And he goes, you're Korean, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he looks right in front of me to his friend. He goes, these Koreans, they get it. See, they own their communities. They have the Korea towns all over. They pull their money together. What are we doing? And so here I thought, all right, I'm going to ask the right thing. Well, Mr. Brown, do you think there's been uh, enough progress in getting coaches in the NFL? And he goes, <laughs> he scoffs at me and he goes, son, coaches are replaceable. Very symbolic. We've done enough symbolic things. We've had enough symbols. He goes, coaches get fired every year. You know what I want? He goes, give me every agent. Then we could talk about progress. And then he went on to the next guy. That has never left me. It's my one conversation that I had with Jim Brown before him and Bernard Hopkins basically took the floor. Here's the issue. Let's say you get black ownership. Say you get two of them in Denver and Miami. Um, what does that do for the community? at large. I would argue that instead of having two NFL franchises that are owned by black groups, uh, if you pull that money together across the country, would it be better off if you created 10 to 15,000 small black businesses or brought property in those affected areas that are largely populated by people of color and then creating a job in an ecosystem all across the country? I, I really, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I don't know exactly what having two NFL franchises do, except for the media that's going to feel good about themselves. They're going to feel as though they were a part of this. And obviously for the people that are getting the proceeds from being a part of that cabal. I think that's the question that really has to be asked. Steve, you make a great point. You, I'm, I'm going to tell you one of my all-time favorite Jim Brown quotes. And uh, Jim and I have been friends. Jim's been a mentor of mine for the last 25 years, maybe I would yeah. say. Uh, but Jim's, <laughs> Jim's greatest quote, he did just, not just to me, he said this many, many times. The problem with black people is we buy what we want and we beg for what we need. Mm. Buy what you want, beg yeah. for what you need. That's our problem. Uh, let me ask you uh, this, Steve, because my overall point here is that black NFL players could demand black assistant coaches be elevated to head coaches. And if they did this the way that they have demanded that uh, ownership kneel during the national anthem, that ownership spend hundreds of millions trying to make sure that no one else like George Floyd ever gets hyped up on fentanyl and, and, and gets killed by the police, the players could actually change the hiring practices of the NFL if they demanded, if they hyped up some of these black assistant coaches. I, I think the silence of the active players on this issue, I don't see Dolphins players running out, former Patriots players running out. Oh my God, Brian Flores. What an, I, this is criminal what has happened to him. I just don't see it, and that's why I'm, I, it's hard for me to take this seriously. If, if, this, if, 
if these coaches were being treated so horrendously at this point, the way these players have stood out there and made the NFL do all kinds of stuff as it relates to social justice warrioring, these players could make them hire black coaches. They won't do it. And so it makes me not take the complaints seriously. You know, Jason, I think a lot of the players just want to play football. They don't actually want to be activists. They want to make a living. They want to create gen generational wealth. And they want to live the rest of their lives in comfort. But if they were to speak out honestly, let's say a, a couple of players, and David Hyde talked about it, there have been black players that had issues with Brian Flores, and now they're going to have to walk all of that back. They are in a catch-22 situation because if they don't speak highly of Flores or any black coach, you know what the names are going to be. You know how they're going to be branded, and they're going to be very, very ostracized. But it reminds me of one of my favorite In Living Color skits played by one of the Wayans sisters. Remember Benita Butrell? She was the one that was always gossiping on her window, saying, like, ah, baby. And she's, oh, my God, I love this person. And under the breath, but between you and me, oh, my God, she was a dick. <laughs> right? That's probably what you're going to get with Brian Flores. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love Brian Flores. He's a leader of men. He was great. He said it great. Between you and me, Jason, that man couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. Because if you go back to the Colin Kaepernick thing way back in 2016, there were actually reports that his teammates, a lot of them black, they weren't feeling him. Really, I remember Michael Silver coming out flat out saying, yeah, he's not a popular guy. All of a sudden now, he was the Messiah leading all of the players. So what, what you're going to have is this revisionist history because nobody, and I hate this term, wants to be on the wrong side of history because we're just not allowed to be honest anymore. What do you think of... Hugh Jackson's uh, oh. insinuations. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I went one and thirty-one with Cleveland, but yeah. it's it's because they they wanted me to, and they you know he insinuated they offered him money, and then he didn't really, then he backed away from it. I, I mean, Jason, I was one. I always thought you were very harsh when you called him Hubris Jackson. Now I think you took it easy on him. I, I'm thinking, first <laughs> of all, you went one and thirty-one. You almost went 2008 Lions two years in a row. And, and, and look, I, I respect Hugh Jackson. He has had a long football career. But go back to your point you made a couple uh, minutes ago, Jason. I, I didn't see a lot of black players on the Cleveland Browns then, now, or ever saying Hugh Jackson got a raw deal. Um, you know, if you look at his run with the Raiders, he actually had a decent first year. I think he went 8-8. Eight and eight. But his behavior was such that the Raiders, who I believe, uh, based on the history of Al Davis, going all the way back to Art Shell, Tom Flores, they're, they're, I would call them a very progressive organization. All right, They've never had any real racial barriers. They're willing to take chances, give people opportunities. They said after one year, you know, Hugh, uh, your juice is not worth the squeeze. And I'm just like, Hugh, um, maybe there are other coaches, maybe a Jim Caldwell, if he had some complaints, because Jim's actually been a pretty good coach. Anyone that could take Detroit to the playoffs more than once, pretty good by me, had a really good run in Indianapolis. That would have some credibility. Hugh Jackson at 1-31. Jason, let me just say one thing. I've all, we've all had ups and downs in our career. Last thing I would do as an NFL career is to dredge up any run where I won two, one game in two seasons in the National Football League. That truly is hubris.
And let me be clear, I personally like Hugh Jackson. Met him when I was at Fox Sports, worked with him, uh, you know, consider myself friendly with him now. I don't like him hopping on this thing and saying that, you know, my one in 31 record is because that's what they wanted to happen. And, and, and I do think the Browns probably did want to lose and acquire high draft picks and they had some plan, but it's just not the thing you say at this time, Hugh, I would let it ride, let it go. But, uh, you know, but Jason, coaches love okay. cameras. They love it, being in the headlines and the news cycle. In defense of Hugh, you're on the Browns. They're just kind of bad. I mean, that right there is a handicap. It reminded me of that old line from Chris Rock when he talked about Six Feet and Roy when one of them got eaten by the tiger. And they said that, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. Well, maybe that was just the Browns going Browns. That's a bad organization. That's kind of a tough job, right? Maybe the Browns really weren't tanking. They were just being the Browns. I'm, I, I'll, I'll let you out of here on this one. I want to bring up one other name. Eric Bieniemy. people love to okay. throw his name around. I just haven't heard Chiefs players standing on tables, beating their chest, that this guy's the next big thing. The media loves to talk about him, but I just haven't heard it from, from Patrick Mahomes, from Tyreek Hill, uh, I, I, I don't, Jared McKinnon. I, I just haven't heard it from the Chiefs players, Travis Kelsey, that, oh my God, it's a, it's a crime that this guy's not a head coach somewhere. That's why I don't, I just don't, it's a media phenomenon. It's a little easy thing for the media to say, but it just doesn't seem to be backed by anything real in my opinion. Right, sometimes it's not about what you say, it's about what you don't. And here, as it relates to Eric Bieniemy getting endorsements from offensive players on the Kansas City Chiefs, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like no one is actually standing up, pounding the table, saying this guy's an offensive genius. Look, I've always been suspicious of supposed offensive coordinators who are boy geniuses, whether it's Adam Gase, go all the way back to Paul Hackett, who have these all-time great quarterbacks, and then they're expected to lead another offense, and I'm like, yeah, they were much smarter with Joe Montana or Peyton Manning. You know, obviously Adam Gase got some jobs he probably didn't deserve. And my view is this. Maybe it is Eric Bannamy's offense, or maybe he has come up with some concepts my view is this, without Patrick Mahomes, every football coach's IQ probably goes down about 50 points. It kind of reminded me of when Luke Walton, I, I was a Laker fan even five, six years ago. I remember when Luke Walton uh, had a nice career with the Lakers, very good role player, won a couple of championships with the Golden State Warriors as an assistant. And I remember all my friends getting excited. Oh, we got Luke Walton as our head coach. And, and I said, uh, Mr. Pessimism has a question here. Is he also bringing Curry and Clay Thompson? And it was a disaster. Players matter. And but that is and but also the other thing, you brought it up yesterday. If and I am all about second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. But if you delve into Eric Bienemy's past, it's not exactly clean. And and that could be an issue. And Jason, one last thing here uh, about this gear. First of all, it is very comfortable. I suggest everyone gets it. There was a couple of weeks here. I thought some of the train pirates were wearing my stuff 
uh, around the streets of L.A. I was very relieved to get this, though. It's very comfortable. Plan to sleep in it tonight, by the way. I appreciate you repping the Fearless Army. Uh, good job. Uh, we're going to keep it moving. Uh, T.J. Moe's going to be next. But before I do that, I want to tell you about the Z-Stack our daily fight against COVID and my daily pursuit of getting in great shape and staying healthy has led me to our friends over at Z-Stack. Z-Stack was formulated by Dr. Uh, Vladimir Zelenko, the world-renowned doctor that President Trump credited with his successful early treatment protocol and his decision to take hydroxychloroquine. Z-Stack is a specifically formulated immune-boosting supplement that includes zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D. Z-Stack is culture GMP certified and produced right here in the good old USA. Now is the time for you to start taking back control of your health and the health of your family. Go to zstacklife.com fearless right now. Enter the promo code fearless to get 5% off your first order. That's zstacklife.com fearless. I can personally vouch for the Z-Stack. I can personally vouch for Dr. Zelenko. He has been a great assist to me uh, when I had Omicron a couple of weeks ago. The Z-Stack, Dr. Zelenko has helped me tremendously and it can help you. Go to zstacklife.com fearless or use the promo code fearless. Hop on board with the Z-Stack today. All right, welcome back. <clears throat> We're going to roll out to uh, the Show Me State, St. Louis, and bring in former Mizzou wide receiver, T.J. Moe, the white shadow, uh, as I like to call him. Uh, T.J., uh, I'm going to start here. The Rooney Rule. Is this, do you think this helps black coaches or hurts black coaches? Well, it certainly doesn't help them. I don't know that it hurts them. I think it's it's embarrassing to some degree. Um, you know, it's it's similar to me to what we're seeing with Joe Biden in the Supreme Court. He said, we're going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court, which got rid of 94% of the population. So you, you look and say, how then can I, as someone who is observing the situation, know that this is the very best person for the job. Now it's a little bit different because this is this is not a mandate that you will hire a black coach. But the fact that you're even in the room in a situation that Brian Flores had to be is a bit embarrassing. He was so embarrassed that he filed a lawsuit. And so if I were one of these coaches that knew that I was the guy that had to meet the Rooney rule, I'd be incredibly embarrassed because in order to get there in the first place, you have to be incredibly qualified and you should not be talking to someone who's not interested in your services because for you to be a coach that should be in contention for a head coaching job in the NFL, you're unbelievably qualified <coughs> to, to begin with. So the, the proof of my statement that it's not working at all is actually a study by the University of uh, Indiana. There was an economist, Todd Walker, two other researchers with him came out and they, they wanted to look and see, you know, is there any racial disparity in what we're seeing in coaching practices in the NFL? So they looked between 1970 and 2008, and they studied all the offensive and defensive coordinators. And what they wanted to see was what are the most important factors and does race 
play inside of those factors. What they found was that there was essentially no difference in the consideration of race and hiring before or after the Rooney rule. And they basically found that racial discrimination, if it played a role at all, was nearly zero and that it was based almost entirely on age. They tend to uh, hire younger coaches because they think if they can get them young and they perform, they can have them for a long time, have stability like we've seen with the Patriots and Belichick. And they, part of their methodology is they wanted to see performance, and that's easy to quantify in the NFL. Offensive coordinator, how many points per game did you have? Defensive coordinator? How many points per game did you allow? So they put these things all together and basically found that racial discrimination in hiring and head coach in the NFL largely does not exist and has not been affected at all by the Rooney rule. So hold on. The study says that they're not making the decisions on race and that the Rooney rule hasn't made it more likely for uh, a black guy to be named head coach. That is correct. And then, and, and what's interesting is you'd say, okay, the Rooney rule, Rooney coming from the owner of the Steelers, he even admitted that the Rooney rule had nothing to do with hiring Mike Tomlin, who eventually won him a Super Bowl because they, uh, they had already met their quota with interviewing Ron Rivera earlier that year. And so when you find a qualified black candidate, you hire him as you should, because if you can get your hands on Mike Tomlin, you do that. If you can get your hands on Tony Dungy, you do that. Um, I would still today go go get Lovey Smith. I think you do that. I mean, there are qualified black coaches out there. I think you're doing a serious disservice trying to put someone who's perhaps not qualified in a room early on. Think about this. If you're not ready, a 22-year-old a, a Jason Whitlock ended up being very talented, got to the Kansas City Star, eventually has his own show on, on Fox and, and on Blaze TV. But if at 22 years old, you had to interview for a job for your own show for Fearless in front of the Blaze TV executives, you'd have tanked. And that would have largely torpedoed your chances in the future. When you're not qualified and ready to be in the position for the interview, are you not doing more damage by going out there and showing people that you're unprepared and not ready yet instead of giving it time to be qual more qualified, be prepared, and then perform the interview when you are ready? Yeah, I, I, I think the Rooney rule was based on a bad assumption that, like, well, NFL owners, they're just not talking to all these hyper-qualified black candidates, and so we're going to force them to talk to them. And <clears throat> what has happened is, like, people have been forced to talk to Eric Bieniemy, and it seems like they've come away really unimpressed, and that's why he hasn't gotten a head coaching job, despite interviewing six, seven, eight times now. And, and now, uh, you know, Eric Bieniemy to me has been harmed by the Rooney Rule. He's he's everybody talks about him like he's this next great head coaching candidate. I don't think there's much substance to it. Uh, you know, I think he's likely a career assistant coach. That I've talked extensively with coaches and other running backs don't make good head coaches. Everybody knows this. They say the exact same thing about defensive linemen. Don't make good head coaches. If you talk to anybody in the profession, 
And the reason why they say it about defensive linemen is because, again, there's only one defensive line coaches. They only, there's only one level of the defense that they actually worry about and need to know about. When it comes to running backs, that's a very instinctive position. It's not someone that, you know, has a big vision of the whole field. Just think, just think about the running backs. Just think about the teams you played on and where the leadership normally comes from. It normally comes from your inside linebackers and your quarterback. And then maybe defensive backs, safeties uh, (laughs) would would probably be next in line. That's where the player leadership, it's not your running backs aren't aren't those guys. And then I would say the next group is offensive linemen. And, And that's generally how it plays out in coaching People that are quarterbacks, people that are middle linebackers, safeties and offensive tend to make the best coaches. And and that's why I just I, I, we're trying to force this square peg, Eric Bieniemy, into a round hole, and it, it's a total disservice to him. Could not agree more. Um Henry Josie, one of the best running backs I ever uh, played with. He, he would have been an All-American. He, he busted up his knees so bad that the surgeon basically said, we only see this type of damage in car accidents. And so he ended up actually coming back and being really, really good. But uh, I remember having a conversation with him about the running back meetings because he always looked bored and the guy was unbelievable. Um, and so we were talking one time. He's like, look, being a running back's easy. It's the three B's. You either bend it. That's the cutback. Bang, hit the hole or bounce. Bounce it outside. That's it. That's all there is to being a running back. You got three things to do once you get the ball and you go. And so it's a pretty simplistic view of the world. And that dude was, you know, should have been an All-American. And so um, th- just to back up your point and, and just in general, being a coach is difficult, right? It's like, I, I don't know. Think about the guys you played with at Ball State. The guys that I played with at Mizzou, I played with some smart guys. Most of us were idiots when it came to football strategy. We were at wide receiver. We were either fast, not me, could jump high, not me, or could get open in a small space, me. That's about it. We had a very particular set of skills that could work in the offense, and so we were useful. If you asked us to draw up a play, we sucked. We were not qualified to do that. And the people that were qualified to do that were the Madden nerds who sat there and created their own playbooks. I remember uh, my, my uh, it's funny you, you brought up defensive end. My, my college roommate, Braden Burnett, was defensive end, and he was really smart and, and could be, if he was not running his own business down in Dallas, Texas right now, a head coach somewhere. He, he was brilliant. But he played defensive end. He was unbelievably bored all the time because it's like C-gap. That's what I got. See ya. I'm going to run upfield and hold this guy's outside shoulder. See ya. And that's all. And you sit in the same two hour meeting that Blaine Gabbert did in the quarterbacks, you know, so you don't have a whole lot to learn. So I, I just think most guys, and this is why I don't buy into the, the argument that 70% of the NFL is black players. And therefore you should have more head coaches. Why? What about playing the game in the NFL makes you a qualified head coach? What about playing the game? I mean, Playing the game, Sean McVay was a wide receiver at Miami, Ohio. He's one of the best young head coaches in the NFL. I don't even know if Belichick played. He seems to be more into rugby than he is the NFL a lot of times. And so some of the brightest minds are guys that didn't play at a high level. And and sometimes that's a good thing because you have to – if Randy Moss is actually very smart. This is one thing that uh, that all the guys still in New England talk about how smart he was. But in general – Randy Moss did not have to think the game nearly as much as I did to get open, 
Randy Moss would run as fast as he can down the left sideline and he would catch a fade. Not a whole lot of thought going into that. I had to make 17 moves and then sit down in the in the soft spot of the defense to get four yards. There's a little more strategy that goes into it the less good you are at something. It talent and and that's where I think your narrative about oh 70% of the NFL players are black. Well, that also means 70% they're the most talented people playing the game of football. And t- take Bill Belichick. I think he played small college center somewhere, Oberlin, or I, I can't remember the name of the college, but I think he was. A, the less talented you are, the more thought you actually have to put into the game. And so the guys who are generally speaking, good enough to make it to the NFL, are so super talented, is they didn't get there because, oh my God, they outfought everybody. Uh, they got there because you know they were gifted by God and kissed with, with incredible talent, and they had a work ethic. But, but again, the guys in the NFL, to me, a lot of times aren't the best candidates. It's like Sean Payton, didn't he maybe have a tiny, tiny cup of coffee in the NFL? But, but he was, you know, he was a decent college quarterback. Uh, he wasn't some super talented guy. Uh, you know, obviously, Dick Vermeer, any of these coaches I just think about, most of them weren't super talented people. And, and the, I'm telling you, the more talented you are, the less you have to actually think about the game. Anyway, I want to play this clip from uh, Ryan Clark about you know, how all these NFL players, all we are is commodities. And I wanted to get your take on Ryan Clark's take about being a commodity. We don't work with them. We work for them. We are commodities, commodities that can be replaced, commodities that can be sold, commodities that can be traded. And yours. Yours. What, what? Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, just, let's just break that down. It, it is spoken like he's he's a mass comms major. I looked up his major. The, the people who say things like this know nothing about business, not the first thing. And they, they are incapable of taking a macro view of how you have to run things. So that's that's Ryan Clark. He's he was studying to be where he is now, mass communications, which is great. But then, you know, talk about the game, perhaps not the business side of it, because you're not qualified to talk about that side of it. Um, even good business people don't get this all the time, but at least if you took some business classes and you understand how things work, you might have an idea. That, I mean, break it down. Players can be replaced. And, Jason, if I stop being interesting to you, you're going to replace me because the show needs to be good enough to stay on the air. And if you put a bunch of people who aren't interesting, people are going to stop watching and you're going to lose your job and the show will cease to exist. That would be bad for everyone. Of course, players can be replaced. Players can be sold. Mm. I don't think players can be sold. I guess in soccer, you can uh, buy a contract perhaps, but even that I think would be considered a trade. And he said, well, players can be traded. Yes, based on the mutually agreed upon contract that you signed likely for millions of dollars. And so later on in that, he talked about, yeah, it's a plantation mentality. You just get paid a little bit more. How about 20 times the median income of the average American? Average American makes about $35,000 a year. The 
lowest paid on an NFL roster coming up in 2022 will make over $700,000. They're not getting paid a little bit. And also, you aren't born into, I mean, he wants to talk about slavery and plantations. You were born as a slave, and when someone sold you, you weren't the one that got paid. When you sell your services, you're the one that actually gets paid. And so it's, I mean, it's a false premise. It's ridiculous to begin with. And this is not a fully uh, formed thought yet. I've only just begun to think about this, but match up what he said with the definition of socialism. He said, we are commodities that can be replaced, that can be sold, commodities that can be traded. Socialism states that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. He's saying the owner shouldn't have the power to do this. So what he's lobbying for is a form of socialism, and it kind of plays into what you talk about with trying to take over ownership. I wonder if they're taking it a step further. They don't want owners to exist. We're already seeing this in the NBA. It's the board of governors. There are no owners. Nobody owns us. And they play this as as some righteous thing. I wonder if down the road here with, with basically no business acumen or IQ, they want the players to take over for there to be absolutely no ownership whatsoever and for them to have a piece of everything that's going on because they have such a gross misunderstanding of their value. NFL players are replaceable. Tom Brady is the greatest to ever do it. He retired. The NFL will go on and have great ratings next year. Michael Jordan recovered. Uh, The NBA recovered from Michael Jordan and LeBron James came along. You are replaceable. It is the platform that has the worth. It is not the product. The NFL, you have tried to come up with other platforms over the years. The USFL, all the, I mean, the the CFL they've tried, the, the different leagues. They can't do it. Even with good players in those leagues, they can't do it. It is the platform that has all of the value. So the NFL players have figured out they can't go start their own thing because they don't know anything about business. All they know is how to be good at their sport. So they need to take over the platform, which is the true value, and that's the NFL. Love your point. It, it highlights a point that I hear Ryan Clark and everybody wants to get on TV and talk about how racist the NFL is and, and ownership and the, the disconnect between them and the player. And then Ryan Clark opens his mouth and says things that absolutely defy logic. They don't make him or other players, regardless of color, players, it, it, it make NFL owners like laugh. And experienced executives laugh. Like, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but he wants us to turn the league over to players who think like him. Mm -hmm. And it's great that he was on some NFLPA deal and sat in some meetings. That doesn't mean that you understood by any stretch of the imagination of what was actually going on. Great, you were at the meeting. You signed up for the job. Some teammates voted you the the job and the responsibility. But NFL players have been consistently getting their brains beat in at the negotiating table, particularly under this D. Marie Smith clown. And, and, And no one wants to talk about it. It's because their players are so uninformed. And because they make so much money, it fools them. And how else could I be making five, $10 million a year if I wasn't one of the smartest people on the planet? Well, it's because you can run a four or five forty, and you know, you got enough muscle behind you to tackle some guys with that speed. That's it. It's not because you're that damn smart. You're not. And I, I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Clark and a lot of these guys are making fools of players. And, and it, it's why 
I was talking to someone yesterday about this whole thing, and they found it funny. The whole Brian Flores and the race eagles, ain't nothing gonna change. They're gonna let these guys throw the little tantrum and he's gonna file his lawsuit and everybody on ESPN is gonna, oh, they're racist and blah, blah, blah. And, they're just gonna let, let the kids whine and cry and do their little, and then they're gonna hire exactly who the hell they wanna hire. And that's why I look, Brian Flores uh, filed his lawsuit and the story today is the, the Minnesota Vikings are gonna hire Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell ain't black. And again, all, Eric Bieniemy likely not going to get a job this hiring cycle, and so it, it's almost like, man, this person was just saying, just let them throw their tantrums, and and because the mentality of ownership is just like, man, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Just let them get on TV and say, just, just turn it off. Don't even listen to it. It'll all go away. Uh, Stephen A. Smith and whoever else they got on TV ranting and raving. No, Bill wrote. No one cares. These are people just saying and doing anything to, to attract some attention. I want to. Robert Griffin had a comment, I believe, on Hugh Jackson. I, I want to get your reaction to that. Let's play the RG3 clip. Robert, your thoughts on all the, this discussion about the Dolphins and the Browns and, and, and losing games on purpose and all this? Yeah, you know, we knew that there was going to be more information that came out. I just don't know if anybody expected Hugh Jackson to come out today and say that he was offered money and or took money. I, don't, I know there's a little uh, uncertainty about what that was, but, you know, if he, if he took money for, for losing games for years upon years, that's, you know, he went 1-31. in 31. That's a lot of money for all those losses. And I just so happen to be a player who played on that 2016 Cleveland Browns team. And I vividly remember right before we got to the regular season, they cut a slew of veterans that were going to help us win games that knew how to be pros and we went into that season with the most rookies I believe ever on the active roster in, in, in NFL history so when you talk about the work that guys put in uh, if Hugh Jackson was offered that or that was the plan there in Cleveland for that year I'm a guy that was adversely affected by that and uh, you know it kind of throws me for a loop because I knew we were going to be talking about Brian Flores but in this situation we're talking about things that are impacting people's lives. Flores said he would never take that money. Uh, he would never do that because he, it's about the integrity of the game. And as everybody on the panel has already stated, the integrity of the game, these guys, guys like myself, we're, we're putting everything we possibly can into it. The weightlifting, the, the nutrition, the studying, and for a coach or an owner to say, you know what, we don't care about that. We don't care about your career. We care about draft picks or something else down the line is beyond disgusting uh, and very infuriating. Uh, to me, that sounds good on TV, but uh, I, I don't know how much stock I put in what RG3 just said. Do, do some teams go out there and do rebuilding deals and know they're going to take some L's? Absolutely. Uh, uh, what's your reaction, TJ? I, uh, part of it is considered the source. Um, RG3 is a guy I played against him in his Heisman year. RG3 is a guy that wouldn't throw the ball away because he did not want to affect his completion percentage because he wanted to win the Heisman. And so if we're talking about being selfish and doing things that are best for the team versus yourself, it's probably not coming from the right guy. Um, I, he's just getting into media. He's going to say some things like this. I don't buy that. I also don't think 
RG3 was negatively impacted because of his injuries. Uh, them losing games was a byproduct of not having good enough players to win games. And if, if you're trying to lose, it's pretty difficult to lose games on purpose uh, without players finding out, right? If you're, if you're running the ball like crazy and you're getting nine yards per carry and you get down to the five-yard line and suddenly you throw four straight passes to a, a guy my size, that's pretty obvious. In general, if guys can go out there and make plays, they do. Uh, I think it would be much more beneficial to all of us if guys like RG3 would get, get on television and say, I can only worry about my performance and what I do. I try to do the best that I could so that we could win games. And I think every guy on the Browns did that. You're going to have to talk to Hugh Jackson about what Hugh Jackson did. Also, at that point in his career, RG3 was probably part of the tanking process. That's why he's on the roster. <laughs> that you know, he could help them lose games. And... So, Eddie, I got to go. Thank you, uh, TJ. Good job, as always. Uh, let me tell you about my friends over at Policy Genius. Policy Genius, if someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, aging parent, or even a business partner, partner you need life insurance. Having coverage through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide for their loved ones. That's why you need to see our friends over at Policy Genius. Head over to policygenius.com fearless and answer a few questions about yourself. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. They offer unbiased help and they advocate for you at every step of the way. Policy Genius doesn't sell your info to third parties. Since 2014, they've helped over 30 million people get the best possible plan for themselves and their families. Head to policygenius.com fearless to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be.
Amen. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> I don't know. The hell is wrong with I you? I don't know. I'm just going a little crazy. Uh, well, uh, what you doing? You, did you take a little too much of that ivermectin? What the hell? <laughs> 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 he over here doing ivermectin. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, bro. You know, my mother loves that Contagious song. Well, you know why. Why? Your mother's an Isley brother. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey you, you, your mother and Ron Isley... <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Uh, hey, you've made no comment. You know, I've been dressing a bit more casually on the show the mm-hmm. past two days. You, you've, you've said nothing about it. What have we been talking about the last couple of days on the show? Brian Flores. And Brian Flores been stepping out of line talking about who? Uh, his boss. Oh. I look like a damn fool to you. <laughs> you look just fine to me, Mr. Whitlock. <laughs> we sick, boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Getting the truth out of you is just not, not going to happen for me, huh? I'm just being honest with you, man. I'm just saying, hey, look. Let me just put it like this on a for real note. You want to talk about look? Okay, let me put it like this. How the hell are you going to let Steve Kim show up looking better than you? That's... That will never happen again. But speaking, no, no, no. He had fearless swag on. Yeah, okay. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because I have a little problem with this, and I'm sorry, Steve, but I'm gonna bring this up. Steve hit me up a couple weeks ago. Hey, Jay. I'm like, no. Oh, he was calling you, Jay. Yeah, like, no, it's Jimmy. Well, you, Jay. Hey, send me some swag. I'll pay you. Cool. I sent him some swag. So I hit him up last week. Steve, you ain't sent me my money. You know, Jay, I haven't gotten anything yet. This dude show up on TV wearing the stuff I sent him. Send me my money, Steve Kim. Mm, yeah. See what I mean? Uh, another thing about Steve, you know, Steve is cool. He's down, but you realize Steve think he, he think he black. Yeah, he always will toss in a, he's, he's always trying to say something more pop culturally black. He, Steve Kim operates on KP time. KP time. Yeah. Go ahead. Color people time. <laughs> you, I'm just saying. You. Any, hey, what about the show today? Other than Steve Kim's dress. Well, you, 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 had, you, you had our guy. Uh, honestly, we, I'm, I, I normally call My him. Shadow TJ Moore? Well, you know, I call him the show me bro, you know. Show me bro. You know, right. uh, but, but honestly, I'm going to have to start calling him the fact man. Fact, man. Yeah, because I mean, no matter what you say, I mean, notice he'd be talking to me like, you know, Jason, I says here that when you were 22 years old, you could consume 559 wings in uh, one setting. Is that true? <laughs> says here that back in 1972, John Hadley could smoke three packs of cigarettes in one hour and still live to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just still calling you the fact man. Fact man, yeah. He's our fact checker, our resident fact checker. Not fact checker, Jason. Fact. Oh, oh, my fault. Yeah. F A C T. Okay. Not fat. I'm the I'm the fat checker. Anyway. But, but your boy, man. Look, 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 let me hit you on your boy, honestly, because I, I thought my boy Ryan Clark. Oh, Ryan Clark. Oh, okay. I, I thought TJ's take on that, and I, I loved it, man, because TJ don't hold back. TJ gonna tell you how he feel, whatever. But. Right, and all these athletes keep making these analogies about slavery and this and this. 
Hey, do me a favor, Ryan, and all you other athletes that want to keep throwing out this slavery analogy. Y'all do me a favor. Turn around and show me your back. <laughs> good, good point. I'm done. Good point. You know, we're going we're gonna to cut that down and put that message out to Ryan Clark. Yeah, show, you, show us your back. Yeah. There you go. That's all. It's a good one. All right, uh, let's get to the approval rating on Stephen Ross, uh, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, job performance. They didn't make the playoffs. Okay. Uh, he's in a little hot water. He's, he, this is third or fourth coach he's fired after a three or four year period. You saw my guy David Hyde come on. He took a dump on Stephen Ross. Pretty so. Job performance, I got him at an eight. Uh, Jason, the man has $7.6 billion. Mm. Okay. And I just like to say this in the words of the comedian Ron White. The man is loaded. <laughs> and I give him a 20 <laughs> for job performance. Seven billion, that's pretty, he's doing a good job in some capacity, that's for sure. All right, uh, character, uh, you know, I allegedly offered some money on the low for losing. As some people would call it, tried to set up an illegal meeting with Brady. So I marked him down a few points character-wise. Got him at a 16. Jason, I give him a 25. Perfect character. Tanking. He's tanking games. Look here, man. Maybe, maybe not. Look, I get it. I understand. I play Madden. You know I always play Madden. I play Madden in the franchise mode. In the franchise mode, you're the owner and you're the coach. Guess what? If you plan on getting a good draft pick and making it to the Super Bowl, you got to tank and lose some games because 7-7 seven seven gets you nothing but mediocrity. So I understand. That's all I'm saying, man. They, they tank in Madden as well. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it, it's part. It's what you have to do, man. That's all. Mm. I'm saying I understand. Authenticity. Uh, I don't know if I find him all that authentic. He loves to do all this social justice warrior stuff, to, and it hadn't done him any good. He's still in the crosshairs right now. That he's a racist owner, despite having damn near his whole staff of the Miami Dolphins was black. So I don't think he's authentic. Yeah, I think he's, he's played the game. No good deed goes unpunished. 14 in authenticity. They give him a 20 for authenticity. Why is that? JC, you know what this is about, man. Keep it real. What? Keep it fearless. Hey, man, he's rich, he's white, and he's a Trump supporter. Oh, is he a Trump supporter? Come on, man, he's rich, Oh, white, and he's a Trump supporter. And he don't make no secrets about it. He ain't making no apologies about it like some of these people. So guess what? He didn't apologize about being a Trump supporter, and he ain't apologizing about this. That's what I respect about him. He gets a 25 for authenticity. I'm All done. Right, that's not bad. Uh, it factor, uh, seven billion bucks got to give you some kind of sex appeal, spark or whatever. So I got him at a 12 it factor. I gave him a zero. It is what it is because it can't be nothing else. Jason, this is that moment you find out in life that there ain't no Santa Claus. This is that moment in life that you find out that wrestling's fake. This is that moment in life that you find out that OJ really did do that shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, man, this is just Not one. Not OJ. Th this is just one of them moments in life you got to accept it. 
Let me just put it like this, man, for real. If I'm an owner and I tell you the coach, I say lose that game, guess what your job is to do? Lose that game, bro. Now, you might not agree with it. You might think it's crazy. But let me just ask you this quick little question, all right, real quickly. That might sound crazy, but how else could you possibly explain the performance of the Kansas City Chiefs against the Cincinnati Bengals this past week? <laughs> if you ask anybody that saw that game, what do they say? Look like they tried to lose that game, you ask me. Maybe Andy Reid's a lot better soldier than what we think he is. <laughs> you know where I thought you were going to go with that whole deal about, you know, they give you the order to tank and he's the owner and you got to do it, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's almost like three or four years ago when you came out to L.A. and I said, hey, Jim, you're going to be Uncle Jimmy and you're going to like fat women. And you hopped on and played that role. I literally hopped on it <laughs> and bounced up three or four times doing it. But you know what? As a matter of fact, you know what? I never tell you that one woman you set me up with, man. Honest to God, man, I climbed on top of that woman and got a nosebleed. <laughs> I ain't never did no mess like that in my life. All right, so I got him at 50 in a dumpster fire. You've got him at 70 in a grease fire. Uh, man, it's almost Friday. It's almost Friday. Thank God. Tomorrow, it will be Friday. If, as old folks say, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. There you go. Yeah. That's tomorrow, and so we'll see you tomorrow. Well, you did a good job. I wanna be, I just wanna be, I just Looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are I believe.